Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Well, good morning, 1030 service, Impact Church. I'm glad you guys are here today. It is going to be a great day. Tell somebody, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great week. Tell somebody, it's going to be a great week. Because the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to win the whole thing. The World Series. It's going to be a great week. I want to jump right in and open in prayer before we dig into God's word. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes and let's pray. God, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us. Uh, God, that you would, you, would, you would challenge us. God, that you would change us. And Lord, that is just exactly what we need today, Father. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen 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 hey that third song today was written by daniel it was great song and the second song was written by amelia let's give these guys a round of applause they they are awesome i don't know if you see it the same way that i see it but the way i see it man our world is broken It is broken. Our world is absolutely broken. It's morally broken. It's emotionally broken, relationally, it's spiritually. It's broken in every way. I think that it could possibly be broken. I'm looking around at a world filled with hate. And I'm looking around at a world filled with violence and and, and war. And a world that's filled with greed and lust and corruption and lies and drugs and marriages are broken and families are broken and children are fatherless and many times parentless. It is a broken world that we live in. And and I find myself thinking like, how do I help fix a broken world? It seems so overwhelming. How do I help fix a broken world? How do I help do my part? And, and, And I look around, I say like, everybody seems like they're maybe trying, but they're trying with all the wrong tools because hate doesn't fix a broken world. Money is not the answer. I mean, we've pumped more money into Africa over the last 30 years and it's still just as bad off as it was. Power is not the answer. Policy and politics are certainly not the answer. I mean, you can write the greatest policies, but the problem with policy is that it doesn't change the human heart. And the human heart is what's broken. And so what is the answer? The answer boils down to one word. And that answer is love. Love. Love is the answer. Love is the answer. Tell somebody love is the answer. Love is the answer and not love. Like the world tells you what love is. Because you know love, we think of love, we like, I love my dog. That's not the answer. I love bacon. Like, that's not the, that's not the, I love ice cream. That's not the answer to fixing a broken world. And, and, and not the kind of world, the, the kind of love the world 
teaches you about because the love that the world teaches is really lust, which is radically different. Lust and love are radically different. For an example, love, love, love is selfless and lust is selfish. There's a big difference in, in, in lust. Lust is about getting, getting, getting love is about giving. It's about giving. True love is about giving. In fact, true love as defined by the Bible, which is what we're going to look at today. The Bible's definitions of love. True love is this. God is love. Write that down. God is love. God is love. God is love. And in fact, the Bible defines this in first John chapter four in verse seven. He says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from who help me out. 1030 service. Anyone who loves a child uh, is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God is love. God is love. And God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. What is real love? God is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. God is love. And he said, and this one thing I love about the Bible is, is the Bible, it, it not only talks about it, but, but it shows us, it, it, it demonstrates it. He says, here's what love, God is love. And what does that mean? It means that he laid down his life for you. That's what love is. Love at its very essence is about sacrifice. It's about giving up Something of your life for somebody else's life. God showed us how much he loved us. How? By giving and by sacrificing. And I want to look at love today. And I want to look at love next Sunday as well. And do a little two-week mini-series on this. Because I think it's important that we really have a grasp on what God's word says about love. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked this question. You remember this? A lawyer comes up to Jesus and he's like, yo, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? What's the number one? What? And they didn't really care about his answer. They were trying to trick him into a wrong answer so that they could arrest him. So I want to read this to you in Matthew chapter 22. It says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment? Which is the number one commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. He says, love God love others. He, he says, okay, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? I'm trying to, trying to get him to say something he shouldn't say so that we can, we can put him in jail. We can, we can shut this man up. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Now understand that in Jewish law, 
there were 613 commandments. 613. And remember, in the time of Jesus and the Hebrew boys would have to memorize the Hebrew law by the time they were 12 years old. What was the law? The law was the first five books of our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Hebrew boys, by the time they were 12, had to memorize the law. So they go, Jesus, of all commandments, there's a lot of them. There's 1,613 commandments that we live by. Hey, what's the best one? What's the number one commandment? And he says, to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And to love your neighbor. You didn't ask me about the second best. But I'm going to tell you what number two is. Number two is to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Look at somebody that you came to church with and tell them you're supposed to love me more than you love you. Come on, tell somebody you're supposed to love me more than you love you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Say that out loud. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're a little sleepy. Wake it on up now. And let's say it out loud, out loud. Love your neighbor as yourself. One more time, a little louder. Love your li- as yourself. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say love your neighbor if they look like you. It doesn't say love your neighbor if they think like you. It doesn't say love your neighbor if they believe the same things that you believe. It doesn't say love your neighbor if they vote like you. It says love your neighbor full stop. It's easy to love a neighbor who loves us. Jesus said pray for your enemies. Bless your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. He's saying love your neighbor. Not if. Love your neighbor, boom, period. Full stop, love your neighbor. One thing I have learned about life is that it is solely dependent on relationships. Life is about relationships. It's about a right relationship with God and it's about a right relationship with people. And the fact is, is that the two go together. Our relationship with God is directly affected by our relationship with people. And our relationship with people is directly affected by our relationship with God. God is love. And so I want to dig into this today. So what is love? We know it's God, but what does that mean? And thankfully, he gave us an entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 called the love chapter. That we can learn about what love actually is. And the good news is we're going to learn about the love chapter and God provided you with the love doctor today to teach you about what real love actually is. So let's dig into this. First Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. 
Now, I want to stop just for a minute and interject. This was written shortly after the birth of the early church. So you had Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Then Jesus appeared to over 500 of his disciples. And then he rose to heaven in the book of Acts chapter 1. Then you have the birth of the early church. Book of Acts chapter 2. 120 are in the upper room. The spirit of God is so powerful that it seems like distributed Tongues of fire upon everybody's head. They start speaking in a different language. They're speaking in tongues. There is a revival in the early church where thousands of people are being added to the church every single day. You and I would not be here right now if there wasn't the early church revival. There are powerful things, spiritual things, heavenly things, manifestation of the gifts of the spirit happening. People are being healed. People are being filled with the spirit of God, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. They're having words of wisdom, words of knowledge, delivering the demon possessed, raising dead people back to life. There are crazy God things going on. And he's saying none of that matters unless you have love. Paul's saying none of it even matters unless you are are a person of love. Impact Church, I know people like this. I know too many people like this, where they act all spiritual. Anybody know anybody like that? Like they act all super Christian. Like they're, you're pretty sure like they're one notch below Jesus in their own minds. Like they're super Christians and they act holier than thou. And maybe they speak in tongues or maybe they have a word from the Lord or whatever it might be, but they're lacking love. They go to church every week, but they're lacking love. Their their life does not reflect a life of love. Jesus is talking to the church, not to the unchurched. The scriptures were written to the church, not the unchurched. And he's saying, let me tell you what love is. Here's what love is. And now he defines it over the next five verses. He outlines 16 characteristics of love. And that's what we're going to look at for the next two Sundays is the 16 characteristics he defines about love. Let's continue in verse four. Are you ready? I mean, it didn't sound super convincing, but whatever. I'm going to do it anyway. Thank you. I just needed a little love. Verse four, read it out loud with me. Love is, for all of you that didn't read it out loud, this is your second chance in life. It's good for you to hear yourself reading scripture. I I think it's just good for you to prophesy to yourself. Yourself needs to hear yourself speaking out God's word. Okay, verse four, ready? Love is patient. Let's stop there. Because that's like an eight-week series. How many of you would say, like, just like by nature, by default, you can't really help it. You're just extremely patient. Raise your hand. If you're extremely patient, it's okay. You can raise your hand. In fact, if you're extremely patient, I want you to stand up. To your feet. Would you do that for me? Stand up. Let's, let's see. Let's see with our eyes. You're extremely patient. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay. I'm not going to make fun of you. You, I, I just want, 
can everybody just look around for a minute and just see the ratio? <laughs> this service probably has, I don't know, close to 1700 people in it. And this room, for those of you that are watching online, the room that we're in probably is seating about 1700 people. And there are about 27 people standing. So you guys are the model. You're what we hope to be someday. Let's give them a round of applause. Stay standing. Since you're extremely patient, I'd like you to stand for the remainder of the service, please. I'm just kidding. You can be seated. Love is patient. Let's move on. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. We're still reading out loud together. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, women. Oh, it didn't say that. I'm sorry. I apologize. I thought, I I thought it said women. This whole time, I thought that was for the women. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And that is the message title for the next two weeks is that love never fails. Let's say it out loud. Love never fails. You know why love never fails? Because God is love. Because God is love. So he says love is patient. And I have a problem with patience because I'm not very patient. <laughs> Didn't you just say amen? Just amen, brother. Amen. Amen, bro. Can you finish this sermon up so I can get out of here? So. I like to think of my spiritual life kind of like I do my physical fitness life. Like I need to know where I am today and an honest assessment so that I know how to progress forward tomorrow. And so I like to think of my life like spiritually, I, like if you went to the gym and just to say you're blown completely out of shape and you're like, you know, 842 pounds of disgustingness and you just, you don't eat right. You eat ice cream all day and cake all day and you don't even try. And, and then you're like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm doing it. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start eating healthy. I'm going to get a train. And then what's the first thing you do? You get to the trainer and, and, and they're going to take some, they're going to measure you. Let's get you on the scale. How about let's not. Let's measure your, how about we don't do that either? How about we just get to work? Because nobody needs to, you do need to know all that because it gives you a true assessment of where you are right there in that moment. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable, but it is a matter of fact, and it is a powerful tool to move forward. Okay. The same is true spiritually. So what I like to do is say, Hey, judge yourself, scale yourself, measure yourself. If the, if you cannot measure it, you cannot master it. And sometimes we're so good at lying to ourselves about ourselves. We're really good about being honest about other people's problems, but not our own problems. So on a scale of one to 10, if you said, what is your level of patience? 10 is you're extremely patient. One is you have no patience. Where are you? 
Are you a one? Are you a five? Are you a seven? I want you to tell somebody right now where you are. Tell them where you are. This is what I think. This is what I think I am. I think I'm a what? I think I'm a... Now, 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 I want you... If, if they told you, like, I think I'm a seven, but you know the truth, I want you to tell them the truth. No, you're a three, actually. You're a two, actually. I started an entire church conversation, didn't I? I asked you to say one number. I asked you to say one number. And y'all still having a conversation of, I don't know what it is. It's therapy. Are you patient? And the, re- and the reason I had to do that is because I think sometimes we think we're one way, but the closest people to you, think <laughs> they don't think that. So if I told you what I thought my number was in patience, it's probably, I don't know. I mean, a five optimistically. If my wife answered for me, it's probably not even a one. Either way, I've got work to do. The Bible says love is patient. Love is patient because love can wait. Lust cannot wait. Lust wants it right now. Whatever it is, I want it right now. I'm filled with lust, so I'm going to get it right now. Love is patient. Love can wait. Love can wait. When my wife and I fell in love, we've been married this March. We'll have been married 26 years this March. When my wife and I met and fell in love, we had some decisions to make. Should we have sex before marriage? Or should we wait till our wedding night? And that was a conflict inside of my soul because the God part of Travis said, wait. And then the Travis part of Travis said, why are we waiting so long? (laughs) And we waited and we did not listen. I know it's a, I know it's a foreign concept today's generation, but it's not foreign to the Bible. It's the same thing. It said then is the same thing that it says now. I know there's only 13 of you clapping because all the rest of you are living in sin right now. Y'all don't act. Love waits. There's reward to waiting. There's reward to patience. Remember last week I read from Galatians chapter five. And I'm talking about how verse 22 says the fruits of the spirit. One of the fruits of the spirit is patience. One of the fruits of the spirit of God working in your life is that you're producing patience. A fruit of the flesh would be lust. I can't wait. I got to have it. I want it right now. So he says, love, love is patient. 
That's a definition of love. Love is patient. I got to learn to be patient. I got to learn to be patient with myself. I got to learn to be patient with God. And I got to learn to be patient with other people. And I don't know about y'all, but that's the one I have a problem with. Patience with other people. I'm really patient with myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got these issues I need to work on. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. I'll get to them. But I'm not very patient with other people. Are you? For even, I'm curious, the ones of you that stood up, I'm super patient. Yeah, you might be patient when it comes to certain things, but are you patient with other people? And that's the one that involves relationship. Relationship. Patient. Because you might be patient and you can drive down the loop 101, the speed limit 65, and you go 50 freaking eight. Because you're not in a hurry, man. You have no life, nowhere to be. You left four hours early. And then there's people like me who end up behind you. I just left. And you're patient in that area, but what about with other people? Are you patient with their growth, their character? Are you patient with their process as a child of God? Are you patient with who they're becoming, who they're supposed to be become? Patience. Patience in relationships. How patient are you in relationships? A lot of times we, we are not patient or we get even angry. We get angry, right? Verse five in this same passage, it says, it's not easily angered. Love, true love, God's love, God is love. It's not easily, easily angered. Doesn't say it's not angered. It says it's not easily angered. If you're easily angered, then God wants to do a work in you. There are hundreds of verses in the Bible that talk about anger. Proverbs 29 is one of them. In, in, in 29 verse 11, it says, A fool gives full vent to anger, but a wise person quietly holds back. Whew. A wise person quietly holds back, but a fool gives full vent to anger. I think this is a great scripture for 2023 because I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think that we live in a world where nobody holds anything back. People say what they want to say, how they want to say it. And we applaud it. We think it's our duty to let people know, let them know. Okay. Fool. Let them know. Fools give vent to their anger. Fools, fools. But a a wise person quietly holds back. Hold back. Hold back. Remember when David said, God, put a watch before my mouth. Hold on. Back, back, Back up. 
Have you ever let somebody have it and then you did feel like a fool? And you thought, man, in the moment that feels so good. And then you realize not only did you hurt them, but you hurt yourself. So he says a wise person holds back. Another proverb in 1911, it says a person's wisdom. There's the word wisdom again. Yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offense. Hey, I'm preaching stuff today. It would change the world if we would all do it as impact church. If we would just all start loving the way God wants us to love. It would change the world. It would it would fix a broken world. It's funny because it's, it says wisdom yields patience, but it's one's glory to over. Could, could you overlook an offense? Could you? Because a lot of times you got to call it out right away. Like, especially if you're married, you know what the freak I'm talking about. Like you're married and they, they fell short of God's glory in your mind. And you're going to make sure they know about it. Every freaking time they do it. Great marriage that would be. Can you overlook my flaw? Can you overlook that I didn't do the right thing? Can you overlook that I didn't do it the right way? Can you overlook that I didn't do it maybe the way you would have done it? But I still tried. Can you overlook that my try wasn't enough? Because I think we live in a world that can't do that. We can't do that. And he says to overlook the offense. I I got news for you. We live in an extremely offended world. Everybody's offended by everything. I'm offended that you're not offended. (laughs) Offended by everything. I'm offended you would say that. I'm offended you would do that. I'm offended that you look like that, to be honest. (laughs) Offended that you dress like that. I'm offended that fill in the blank and the whole world's like on the offense and we need we need to learn that it's one's glory to overlook to overlook to overlook this is what this is what the bible says about angry people cuz you hey did you know have you ever thought we were talking about this this last week how certain emotions are contagious have you noticed that like let's take fear for example totally contagious Yeah. Like, do you remember, is anybody old enough to remember Y2K? Y2K for all of you that are 23 and under Y2K year 2000. The story was that the computers were not built to turn over to 2000. So every computer on planet earth was going to shut down at midnight on 1999. This is, this is true story. This is facts. And it was, it was on all the media, all the news, like, Oh, we're going to, we're the, the power grids are going to shut. The power to the U S is going to be turned off and God knows how long it's going to take Bill Gates to get it back up. I mean, it was dire. It was bad. And so therefore fear took over the world fear. People were buying like weapons of mass destruction. They're buying like, you know, tuna. I still have tuna from Y2K. Cause I wasn't going to go down like that. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine if the world's power shut off? 
You, you, your home, no, no power, no power at the grocery store, no power at the Fashion Square Mall, no power at Scottsdale Court. I can't get my true food. I can't get my true food today. I can't get my Botox. The Botox power has been turned off. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do, man? I, ha- I had a boob lift scheduled and I can't get it now. The power has shut off. What am I going to Life is never going to better get some tuna. And it was like this crazy, fearful thing because it was like, dude, think about that. Like neighbor's going to turn on your neighbor. You've been out there a few times when you took the trash bins out. What's up, buddy? Thought he's a pretty good dude. Not if he's hungry. He's coming after your freaking tuna. You're going to have to smoke his butt on his way. He's like, no, bro. That's for my family. And fear, and fear, fear just is a contagious. None of this is in my notes, but fear is just contagious. Well, you know what else is contagious? Anger. Somebody that's hot can get you hot and you don't even know why you're hot. That's what I'm seeing in the world. The, the world is angry. I, most of them don't even know why. Yeah, we're pissed too. <laughs> what are we mad about? <laughs> we're pissed too. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is the, the world is like, it's this contagious, angry spirit. This is, this is what Proverbs 22 says. It says, don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. And then it tells you why. Because bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. Whew, that's good. And I, I just see angry people. They always find the other angry people. And it's contagious. And then they just all lose their minds together. And then they go do crazy stuff. And they're like, they're so mad. Imagine being so mad. You're like, I'm going into the city and I'm burning down a building. That's how mad I am. That'll show them all. It's going to fix everything. To burn a building down. I'm going to loot. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk in to a store. And take stuff that's not mine. That's how mad I am. And that's probably going to fix everything. <laughs> I'm looking around like, could humanity be any more stupid than it is right now? In this world, and you say, like, oh, we should stand up. Oh, great! Great! Grab a sign and stand out there and bring the media, and and, and that'll change the world. I I remember before being a Christian, there were these Christians (laughs) that would stand on the street corner with signs. Have you ever seen a Christian like this? And I, I vividly remember. A sign and it said, drunks don't go to heaven, stop your sin, let Jesus in. That's literally what the sign said. And I remember as a non-Christian who got drunk all the time, thinking, what? What is the success rate of their approach? Like you'd think some dude drunk is going to pull over and be like, bro, I saw your sign. You're totally right. (laughs) 
thank God you had that sign. Like, I mean, maybe the heart's right. I don't know, but the approach certainly is not. That's not going to do anything. All it does is make things worse. People want to talk about the conflict in the Middle East. I hear people talking about it all the time and they don't even know what the freak they're talking about. It's hard to know what we're talking about because all we know is what we know. And I don't know about you, but I don't know very much. Like free Palestine, free Israel, free. Hey, free everybody. How about that? How about we have a spirit filled revival sweep across our land? I don't know. I look at it all wrong. But I'm pretty sure if I don't like you and you don't like me and I blow up your family, you're just going to blow up my family. And we're going to just keep doing that for thousands of years. And that's the problem in the Middle East because everybody thinks they can define the Middle East back to 1948 when Israel was reinstated as a nation. But it goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. Do your homework. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not going to do my homework. I'm just going to pop off about it. And you look foolish. And it's very complicated just like your marriage problems are very complicated. I can't fix them. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some surrender. It's going to take some sacrifice. If you want to fix your marriage and you're, you're married, you're thinking like, oh, he just needs a change. Nope. That's not how a marriage gets fixed. Guess how it gets fixed. You need to change. They need to change, but you need to work on you. You need to change. And it becomes about the other person because, because we don't want to look at it for what it is. James 1.19. I want to read this together out loud. James 1.19. This is a great one right here. You should get this tattooed maybe on your body. James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Wouldn't that be a great tattoo? Because most people who get tattoos are like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God is able to do immeasurably, exceedingly abundantly, more than anything I can ask or imagine. Another tattoo, Jesus died for me. But what about a tattoo that's like, you should be quick to listen. <laughs> slow to speak, slow to become angry. It would change the world if just our church started living a James 119 life. Another thing that the love chapter says about love, he says, love is patient. And he says, love is kind. One to 10. <laughs> Are you kind? You're just kind. You're just a kind spirited soul. You're just so Kind. How many of you are kind by nature? You just defaulted, I'm kind. Raise your hand. I'm just a kind soul. Look at this church full of kind people. It's better than patience. How many of you are honest? You're just like, I'm really not very kind. Like, raise your hand. Come on. Come on, be honest. That's good. That's good. I'm glad you're at church. I feel like I'm very misunderstood because I feel super kind. 
but it's translated as like dude's a jerk, which is not good for a pastor. <laughs> I'm just misunderstood. Love is kind. And, and I want to break kindness into two categories. Here's the two categories. There is the kindness as an action and there is kindness as a reaction. Because I think kindness as an action is far easier than kindness as a reaction. Right? Because I can be kind to you at first until you hurt me. And then now what do I do with that? That's the reaction part. And so kindness is an action is like I'm proactive. I'll be kind. I'm just going to be kind. You know, I'm walking through sprouts. Hi, how are you? I like, I like your hair. You know, I just want to say, cause I'm kind, but kindness is a reaction is radically different. And so kindness, it, it's, it's love is kind. I'm nice to people. I'm genuinely kind. I'm compassionate. I care for people. I want the best for people. I want good things to happen to them. I pray for them. I'm believing God for them. I'm believing for their breakthrough. A a, a kind person. When somebody does you wrong, you still do them right. A kind person. When somebody treats you bad, you still treat them good. Kind people, I've learned, are also usually pretty patient people. Kind people, they have this patience. They have like this peace about them. It's hard to explain. Just kind they're just kind, man. Kindness is an action and it's proactive. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The story of the Good Samaritan is a story of kindness. For those of you that maybe you've never heard the story, there's this Jewish man and he's walking and taking a trip to Jericho. And he was attacked by some robbers, some thieves. And they beat him up and they stripped and took his clothes. They stole all of his money. They beat him up so badly that he was left half dead on the side of the road. And then this Jewish priest, he came walking by and he saw the man lying there. And what did he do? He ignored him and kept walking. And then another person comes by, another temple worker comes by. He too sees the man and he also ignores him and walks by. Just ignore it and keep going. Then in in Luke chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says, but then a good Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. That's kindness. That's compassion. I saw it. And my heart goes out to him because I think the church's problem, the church's number one problem in 2023 is the church. Because we are all about us and what God can do for me and not about what God can do through me. Kindness, compassion. His heart goes out to him. Man, my heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you. And instead of what a lot of us do is we see people hurting. We see people broken. We see people beaten down and we just ignore it and keep walking. And the good Samaritan, he's filled with compassion. He saw the man's condition. Part, part of being effective for God is seeing someone's condition. 
But a lot of times we're so wrapped up in our own world. All you can see is your own situation. He sees the man's condition. He sees it and his heart goes out to him. So he cleans him up. He bandages him up. He puts him on his own donkey and he takes him to the hotel. He was kind. He was compassionate. He was proactive. He, he, imagine he didn't go up to the guy beaten and broke. He didn't go up to the guy and go, Hey, listen, before I help you, who'd you vote for? We laugh because that sounds so silly, but that's the world we live in. Hey, listen, I don't want to help you, but, but like, where are you actually from? Where, where, where do you live? Who, who, are you a Christian or not? Do you, do you, do you believe in Jesus Christ or, or not? It doesn't say, he just, his humanity, listen, kindness, kindness doesn't care. Kindness doesn't care. Kindness cares about humanity, no matter the other person's belief. That's kindness. And that's not the end of the story. Then he goes to verse 37. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And then the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy and Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this story is really not about the good Samaritan. It's about you and it's about me. It's a story about you and I. And I just believe that if we had enough kind-hearted good Samaritans, I believe that we could change the world today. I believe that like anger, kindness is also contagious. I believe that love is also contagious. And I believe that the more kind you are, the more kind they'll be. It's hard to remain, it's hard to remain angry at a kind person. <laughs> it's hard. You're like, no, just get pissed so I can be pissed some more. Hard to be angry at a kind person. And kindness in this story, it includes generosity. How generous are you? Scale it, one to ten. How generous are you? Kindness includes generosity. It includes going out of your way. It includes going the extra mile. It includes going against the grain of what everybody else is doing. It includes standing up for what's right. Listen, I'm talking about loving anyways, but, I, but you still stand on the truth of God's word. And the fact is we're surrounded by people Every day, like this Jewish man who had been stripped and beaten. And we're surrounded by people who have been taken advantage. Well, we're surrounded by people who have been beaten up and beaten down and stripped of their confidence and stripped maybe of their reputations and stripped of their peace and their joy. And God wants to tell you to offer them kindness. Kindness. Let's look at number three. Love is humble. <laughs> Dude. It says love does not envy. Verse four. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not envy. It does not boast. 
It is not proud. I like this because I've learned that the older I've gotten, I have issues that I never knew I had. And one is envy. But it's not envy in the way you would think, maybe, of envy. My envy would be like, not about financial positions or material positions. My envy might be like, you have a great relationship with your father. And I don't. Envy for me could be when I had my stroke in November, I brought many nationally known pastors in to preach for me. And a lot of them flew in and traveled with their father. I know a lot of friends who they're pastors of a church and they took over their daddy's church. So my envy might not be like your envy, but it's envy. And I think this is some pretty deep stuff because he's saying love does not envy. And if God is love and God is described as our father, then I already have everything those preachers had anyway. It's just in a different way. You ever, you ever, you ever wanted a miracle so bad in your own life? You've been praying for it for years and years and it hasn't happened yet, but you see it happening for people all around you. It's hard not to envy. It's hard when I want to get pregnant and I can't get pregnant. And we've been trying to get pregnant and we can't get pregnant. And then my sister who doesn't even want a kid gets pregnant. It's hard not to envy. It's hard not to envy when your child is a prodigal child and is lost and running the wrong way and doesn't even really know it. And somebody else's child was lost and running the wrong way, but now they're getting their life together and they've fallen in love with Jesus. Envy. He says, love doesn't envy. God is love and we can trust God with our future. We can trust God with our families. He says it doesn't boast. It's not prideful. It's not proud. Love is not proud. Remember, pride divides. Pride divides. Pride is a problem. Pride is being full of yourself. Pride, as the word of God says, comes before a fall. Destruction. Pride, fall. Pride, destruction. Pride, it's, it's coming. It's going to end. Pride in a marriage. The marriage will fall. God, the Bible says, hates. It uses the word hates pride. Hates pride. Satan was kicked out of heaven because of pride. 
King Saul fell because of pride. Great nations fall because of pride. Pride is when I think I'm better than you. Pride is something that will destroy your marriage, your relationship, your family, your business, your community, your reputation. It will destroy your nation. Pride is when one nation thinks it's better than another nation. Pride is when one race thinks it's better than another race. Pride is I'm married, but man, I wish my wife could parent like I could. Pride is I wish my husband understood like I do. That's pride. And God says, love is humble, humble, humble. To walk in humility. And there's power in humility. Listen, humility, I think, is misunderstood. It it doesn't mean to be shy. It doesn't mean you're quiet. It doesn't mean you're timid. It doesn't mean you're bashful. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're spineless. It, It doesn't mean you have a low opinion of yourself. In fact, the opposite really is true. Humility takes incredible courage and self confidence. In fact, insecure people struggle with humility because insecurity produces the exact opposite. It produces pride. Pride is always, always a cover-up for insecurity. Pride, when you find, have you ever noticed You find somebody who's arrogant and prideful and boastful and egotistical and self-centered. You know they're masking deep insecurity. Pride's a cover-up for insecurity. When you see the person who acts like they run the world, you know anybody like that? Don't point at them right now. They act like they run the world. They got it all together. It's because they're masking deep insecurities. They may not even know that. Insecurity, it causes us to brag. I'm insecure, so I better brag about how great I am. I I need security, so hopefully I'll find it in you by telling you how great I am. And I, I lie about things to make them sound better than they were or crazier than they were. I, I elaborate. That's pride. Pride. It's insecurity. Pride is not only thinking more of myself than I should, but it's also thinking less of myself than I should because both are sin. And I have a pride issue when I don't build my confidence in Christ, but I'm trying to build it upon other people and what they think and what they might think. You know what I'm saying? Like all of that's a false sense of security anyway. And humility, maybe you've heard this little saying, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And I like that because I think the world would be a better place if we thought of ourselves less. That's why John said that he must increase and I 
must decrease. More of God, less of Travis. If the world is going to be a better place, it's got to be more of God in me and less of me in me. That's the way it gets better. More of God, more love, more kindness, more humility from from myself. Putting others first. I have the privilege of having a good friendship with a extremely successful pastor who has retired a couple years ago, but his name is Rick Warren. And I have been largely mentored by Pastor Rick Warren. He wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, if you ever heard of it. And I went on, uh, I got, I went to Rwanda with Pastor Rick and we flew from LA to Rwanda, spent 10 days there, came back, trained pastors and this, this man has been a great mentor to me and has spoken into my life and shaped a lot of who I am as a young man of God and certainly as growing in age as a man of God. But you know, he wrote that book, Purpose Driven Life. You know what the first sentence is? Has anybody read that book? Will you raise your hand? Great, that's great. If you haven't read it, it's a great book. Really, life-changing. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. It sold more copies than any other book in the history of the United States next to the Holy Bible. Like it was kind of successful. <laughs> you know what the first sentence is? The first sentence of the book. It's not about you. It's not about you. That's hard to unlearn, isn't it? Because like we kind of are born thinking life's about us. Everything's about us. Like we cry, mom picks us up. We poop, mom cleans us up. You start growing and your parents are all at your games and your recitals and your rehearsals and it's all about you. You're amazing, you're amazing, you're amazing. And then you start realizing like, oh, it's actually not about me. Life is not about you. Philippians chapter two says it like this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. You must have the same attitude. That's tough. That's tough. As Christ Jesus had, though he was God. I mean, he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Love is, it's humble. Love is humble. Love is humble. There's another translation on this same verse in Philippians 2. I want to read this to you because I thought this one was so great. This is the message translation in Philippians 2. It says, don't push your way to the front. Because, man, we live in a world like that. Like, people betray their own family to get on. Like, to get ahead, to get out front. Don't push your way to the front. Push yourself aside. 
Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Push yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Because it's not about you. It's just not about you. And the sooner we learn that it's not about you, love God, love others. The sooner we learn that life is about loving God and loving others as ourself, is the sooner you realize what it really means to love, what it really means to live and find true joy and purpose and fulfillment. I'm going to continue this next week, but I want to close with some prayer. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love today. And Lord, thank you that you humbled yourself into human flesh that you loved us so much that you humbled yourself. God, that you gave your one and only son. God, that you died for us to pay the price for our sins. Listen, if you're here today and you've never, you've never acknowledged Jesus as your savior, I believe this is the perfect time for you today to say, Jesus, today, I want to give you my life. I want to live for you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for the cross. God, thank you for demonstrating what love looks like to give my life away. Lord, teach me, teach me to become a child of love. God, we love you today. And we pray this in Jesus name. We all say, amen. Amen. Impact church. Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you for tuning in with us. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to celebrate with you and get you more connected. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.